The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. We begin with a major market reversal. Investors reassessing near-term Fed risks, sending stocks on a pretty wild session yesterday. Futures looking to build on those gains. And they say everything's bigger in Texas. Elon Musk taking that to heart during a Model Y rodeo at his new Lone Star Gigafactory. Highlights from that event coming up. And hating on the haters. Bitcoin bull, bull Peter Thiel's comments on the enemies of crypto still echoing all over Wall Street this morning. His comments coming up here on Worldwide Exchange. And unrest at Twitter has its CEO speaking directly with staff over Elon Musk being appointed to its board of directors. And it is round two at Augusta. A lot of excitement as the world watches Tiger Woods' historic comeback to the game he loves. A live report coming up. It is Friday, April 8th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Happy Friday. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. Stock futures in the green across the board right now. Uh, the Dow Jones, the Nasdaq and the S&P all indicating they could open up about a half a percent higher, at least at this point. Now, this follows a huge comeback for the major averages yesterday. That saw the Dow erase a more than 280 point loss to end the day higher by nearly 100 points for the week, though. The Dow, the S&P, and the Nasdaq, they're all looking at some pretty steep losses. We're showing you the chart right here. The Nasdaq down 2.5%. And also, checking the bond market right now. Of course, we begin with the benchmark 10-year. The yield right now, just above 2.68. We're always watching it as it ticks above that crucial 2.5% yield level. And then the oil markets, crude right now, trading a bit higher this morning. WTI still below $100 a barrel. Brent crude ticking just above $100 a barrel. Both of them up this morning. And in crypto, keep in mind, we have that big crypto conference down in Miami this week. We're seeing Bitcoin up a half a percent, Ether up 2%. Ripple, it's been a little flat early in the morning so far, up just fractionally right now. We're going to have some more comments about crypto and the crypto haters. But first... Let's check on the early action overseas. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is live in our London newsroom. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, here in Europe, it's really all systems go. We've got quite a decent rally coming together. The stock 600, the main benchmark, is up about nine-tenths of a percent right now. We were trading well over one percent higher. So we've come off the highs of the day, but a bounce back taking shape. Coming into today's session, um, nearly every major borsa was lower on the week. So we'll see if we can um, eke out some gains to turn the week around overall. On that note, let's take a look at the regional split. There has been one region that's outperformed performed this week, and that is the FTSE 100 here in the UK, much like we saw throughout Q1. The index, which is overexposed to oil and gas and bank stocks, has performed particularly well this week. This morning, it's up about nine-tenths of a percent. But as you can see here, it is a broad-based rally in Europe. From a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like. We've got um, green across the board from a regional perspective and from a sector perspective. Travel and leisure is the underperformer this morning, but still up about two-tenths of a percent. I'll take you for a look around at the best 
performers this morning, um, and you've got basic resources. Oh, here they are, chasing them around. Um, oil and gas banks and autos are the best performers in Europe this morning. So really a clear tilt toward those cyclical sectors. Risk on, I would say. Frank, back sure. over to you. All right, Julian, we appreciate that look at the overseas action. Now let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with more. Good morning and happy Friday, Silvana. Hey, Frank, happy Friday to you. Well, not one to hold his punches, billionaire venture capitalist Peter Thiel came out swinging at a Bitcoin conference yesterday during his keynote speech, calling out who he sees as crypto's enemies list. Enemy number one. I, I think he's sort of, um, I, I think the sort of the, the sociopathic uh, grandpa from Omaha is, um, is um, you know, uh, is, is perhaps the most honest and the most direct in it. And after Buffett, Teal went on to target J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon and BlackRock's Larry Fink, highlighting their past bearish comments on Bitcoin with the word gerontocracy in bold print behind him. Amazon says it plans to appeal its loss against union organizers in New York, where workers voted to establish the company's first union in the U.S. The company says it has issues with actions taken by union leaders before and during the vote. This coming as another union in Alabama is alleging Amazon illegally interfered with elections there, creating what the union calls, quote, an atmosphere of confusion, coercion and fear, which negatively impacted employees' freedom of choice to join or reject union status. And Twitter reportedly plans to host Elon Musk for an Ask Me Anything Q&A session with employees, according to The Washington Post. The announcement comes just days after his appointment to the company's board of directors and amid internal concern of his future role with Twitter and potential impact it could have on the company's culture and staffers' day-to-day lives. The Washington Post reports that one employee asked on Slack if board members would be subject to the likely HR investigation that would result if an employee tweeted some of what Musk tweets. Frank? Yeah, so on some interesting questions oh, coming yes. from the Twitter staffers there. Thank you for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You got it. All right. Turning our attention back to the broader markets. We're just days away from the kickoff of earnings season. The banks are going to lead the way right out the gate with J.P. Morgan reporting on Wednesday, followed by Citi, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley on Thursday. The sectors trailed the broader market for the past month or so. But your next guest says the banks could be set for a bounce. Anna Hahn is an equity strategist at Wells Fargo. Anna, thank you for being here. Lovely to be here. And you're right. With earnings season kicking off, I think the attention is on banks because it's always the first thing to report. We're certainly going to be paying attention here, Anna. So I was looking at some of your research. Your research finds that the S&P banking index is trailing the S&P by more than 12 percent since February. Uh, Even looking at the KBE ETF yesterday, the banking ETF finishing down a percent despite uh, some moves to the upside yesterday for the markets. But you view earnings as a catalyst for a bounce. What are you expecting to hear We're seeing those reports that's going to give investors more confidence in the banks. I think really it's going to be the story about not as bad. You know, I think with the fundamentals really that we've seen with banks, not just in the last couple months, but also pre-pandemic, you've seen that their balance sheets are strong, that actually the earnings growth has potential here. But what's been difficult for banks in particular here is as when you think about global growth slowing down, potentially the cyclical cycle slowing down, the number one thing that's going to get hit here is again, kind of in the financial sector. 
But bigger picture, when you think about it, to us, it looks oversold. And that's why in the more uh, weeks to come, I think that you're going to see potentially a bounce. It's very historically traditional to see that banks have a not great response to earnings in the first maybe uh, five days or even the one day response. But take it as a little bit longer than that. Look one month or longer. And I think that you'll see that you'll see kind of a give back there, particularly for the banks that didn't do so well going into the earnings season. Well, let's talk about this. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of pressures on the markets, period. Three probably most talked about topics here on CNBC this week. Uh, Inflation, uh, you know, gas prices, uh, just so many things weighing on the markets, recession fears. What do you think is going to happen in these banks' earnings reports? And as, as you say, you want to take a longer-term outlook. They're forward guidance that's going to turn things around. When we say that bounce, really, it's more of that, okay, well, we're not going to take that one-day view. We're not going to take a five-day view. For us, our recommendation is not for the day traders. It's more for the institutional side when you look at, actually, what are the fundamentals behind these corporate earnings? So I think that there is a longer-term picture here. At the same time, Let's take even a step back from that, not just banks in particular, but think about what is the economy doing here? Is the U.S. economy really going into a recession? Now, something we've talked about a lot with clients, the recessionary probability may have increased, but is it so much that our tail risks have come to a point where we're so concerned we're pivoting away from the cyclicals? Not quite yet. And I think that's the position we're trying to take here. We still want cyclical exposure in the portfolio. And one of the ways we're going to express that is through banks. Well, Anna, interesting that you say not quite yet. We'll have to watch those bank earnings next week. Anna Han, thanks for being here. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, breaking down what's been a really rough week for big tech and some names that might be a bit oversold. Plus, Elon Musk's Model Y Rodeo and his outlook for 2022 and beyond. And later, while my next guest is sticking with his bullish bet on transports, despite the sector hovering near bear market territory, we've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Make sure you stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The Nasdaq staging a late-day comeback yesterday along with the broader market. The index closing just slightly higher as investors assess the Fed's plans to tighten policy and fight inflation. But the Nasdaq still down about 2.5% for the week. And check out the struggles of some of the mega-cap tech names. Uh, Microsoft down almost 2.5%. Alphabet, Amazon, and AMD all down more than 3%, while NVIDIA off more than 9%. Let's bring in James Chockmock, partner at Clockwise Capital. James 
Great to have you here, because uh, we're going to be talking about this tech wreck, tech crash, whatever you want to call it, for quite a bit. Sure. So I, I, there's a lot of questions about the Fed, right, um, and what that means for tech, raising rates and higher discount rates. But, you know, the way we view it, the Fed doesn't actually have any monetary policies that can help with the problems that we have, which is inflation predominantly being caused by supply chain constraints. Anytime you have a traffic accident and you, you, uh, the, you clear out the, the accident, it still takes a long time uh, for the traffic to clear up. And I think that analogy applies um, to what happened with the world with the, with the pandemic, op- closing the world and opening it back up. Right. So I think the real problem with tech that we're seeing is not so much the Fed, um, as it is a mean reversion of the growth rates. You had this huge pull forward in demand. Now we're copying those growth rates. So you have huge deceleration. And I think that's just, there's just a lot of uncertainty as to where those growth rates will actually land post um, uh, once we get through these next right. couple of earnings cycles. James, I like your style, man. Just ready to go right out the gate. I got to say, <laughs> this is a bit of a contrary opinion. Most people believe it's interest rate pressure. It's also sky high valuations. But you're saying those are lesser factors than supply chain woes? No, I think the supply chain is, is the, the primary reason for all of this. And the Fed, I mean, how can raising rates help solve the supply chain? It can't. You know, the Fed has, uses monetary policy to combat inflation, but it cannot use monetary policy to combat um, opening up the supply chain. So when you say supply um, chain, how much of that is the chip supply chain versus, you know, the regular supply chain that we all think about moving goods, freight, industrial equipment and things like that? I think it, it's everything from top to bottom. We shut the world completely down for many, many months. And, and opening it back up trickles down everything from energy costs down to your chips, down to your um, dishwasher uh, that, that you're looking to buy for your home. So uh, it, it impacts everything. And um, obviously, the war exacerbated things on the energy front. Um, But at the end of the day, um, this is predominantly supply chain driven. And I think the risk with the Fed is that we have so much mixed messages as as it relates to, is it going to be passive uh, balance sheet reduction, active balance sheet reduction? And, you know, you listen to different Fed governors, you get different messages and more ambiguity when you release the minutes. Right. So I think that the bigger risk that from our standpoint as investors and and our investment colleagues uh, out in, on Wall Street is that uh, the Fed makes a, uh, a mistake um, by taking, anytime you're active, mm-hmm. you, you increase the likelihood of making a mistake. So James, we, always, we almost gotta let you go, only got a, a couple seconds left, but sure. you're saying growth rates are gonna decline, but doesn't everybody already expect that? I mean, how could the growth rates for tech, especially high growth tech, stay the same now that we're all out and about? We're not gonna be on Zoom calls as much. We're not gonna be on our Pelotons as much. Sure. Um, I think the growth rates have already started to come down. That's that's why, you know, people have been nervous about, um, you know, what is the new normal for these growth rates? Our case is that the secular uh, uh, winds are very strong. Tech predominantly is deflationary in nature and and tech offers um, much more sustainability in terms of their growth rate. So I think you're going to see a reacceleration back to what the growth rates would have been pre-COVID and possibly even higher because the world has permanently changed. And we don't think it's going to go back to the way it was. Got it. So growth, but just not the growth that people want to see, at least not investors. James Chalkmock, we appreciate the insight. Thank you for being here. Thanks. All right. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Round one of the masters in the books. Tigers place on the leaderboard. And what's in store today? A live report from Augusta National. That's coming up next. Have you? 
Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And now time for a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Happy Friday, Francis. Hey, Frank. Happy Friday to you. Let's start this morning with COVID making a comeback across the country. Cases are up 2.9 percent over the last two weeks. In D.C., a host of lawmakers and staff tested positive for the virus, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senator Susan Collins and Raphael Warnock, along with First Lady Jill Biden's press secretary, Michael LaRosa. Also, Broadway's Plaza Suite was canceled after star Sarah Jessica Parker tested positive. Her husband, Matthew Broderick, was diagnosed earlier this week. Two more black coaches are joining the discrimination lawsuit against the NFL. Former Miami Dolphin head coach Brian Flores first filed a class action suit, accusing the league and its teams of paying lip service to minority hiring rules. Former Cardinals head coach Stephen Wilkes and former Washington defensive back coach Ray Horton have now joined the litigation. Wilkes claims he was hired as just a bridge coach for the team and not given a chance to succeed. Horton alleges he was put through a sham interview for the Titans' head job to satisfy the Rooney rule, which requires teams to consider minority candidates. The NFL has declined to comment. Auctioneers were sure to assemble for this vintage comic book. It is the first appearance of Captain America in a comic sold in an auction for just over $3.1 million. The comic is one of the top five most expensive comics ever sold. It came out a year before the U.S. entered World War II and showcases the Avenger confronting Adolf Hitler. It's in mint condition in great, great shape. So whoever owned that, Frank, you imagine, considering it was worth that much, yeah, under lock and key and a glass-enclosed case <laughs> and everything else to protect it. Francis, you're talking to an avid comic book collector. I would love to have that in my collection. All mines are in plastic with like a piece of cardboard behind them, but I'm going to consider the glass option. Hey, the plastic, you know, is better than nothing. Super cool. (laughs) Happy Friday, Francis. You You too. All right, turning our attention now to Augusta, where day one of the Masters is in the books. And he may not be atop the leaderboard, but Tiger Woods is really all anyone is talking about. NBC's Jay Gray, he joins us now from Augusta. Dark out there, Jay, but a lot of Tiger talk. Yeah, no question, Frank. Good morning to you. And look, we're still a ways away from sunrise here, but the crews 
already out at Augusta National, just behind us, blowing the leaves, getting things manicured and ready for round two. The Masters, one of golf's four major championships, reserved for only the best in the game. There are 90 elite golfers that were invited this year, but the focus, as you talk about, clearly on just one of them. Thousands of fans, or patrons as they're called here, crowding the first tee in some areas 15 and 20 deep. Now driving, Tiger Woods. Reintroduced to the man who has so often dominated and defined golf. The fluid swing, the focused glare, the fist pump. At times, you could almost forget 14 months ago, after a horrible car crash, Tiger Woods wondered if he would lose his right leg. For most, just being here would be enough, but not for Woods. I figured once adrenaline kicks in and we get fired up and I get into my, my little world, um, I should be able to handle business. And business is good for the five-time Masters champion, putting together one of his best opening rounds ever here, finishing one under par, not in the lead, but not too far behind, even with some mistakes. Oh, it's gone between the trees. Oh, boy. And there are still questions about whether he can walk four miles, four days in a row, on his surgically repaired leg, Woods, counting on... Uh, lots of ice. <laughs> in between rounds to keep him going. But for those who think of golf like a religion, on the sacred grounds of Augusta National... What a return! Woods' comeback is already nothing short of a miracle. Yeah, so after a morning start yesterday, Woods is scheduled to tee off around 1.40 this afternoon. So, Frank, that gives him a little extra time to rest rehab that leg. Yeah, Jay, uh, certainly. Uh, so two questions for you. Number one, I, I saw you at the Super Bowl one year, and you were outside grilling bacon. So I want to know what you're grilling yeah. today. Also, what are some of the things we should be watching for as Tiger tees it up today? <laughs> yeah, Yeah, look, there'll be no grilling here at Augusta National. It is a very uh, prim and proper place with just pimento sandwiches a bit later. Uh, <laughs> as for Tiger, I think you've got to look and see how his stamina holds up as we, we go into round two. He didn't really have a noticeable limp yesterday. It was a little hitch in his get-up every once in a while. Uh, today, the second day of walking, uh, the changes in elevations here at, at Augusta are, are dramatic. You don't really see it on TV, but, but there are some huge huge hills that he'll have to climb. And so just seeing him get through that. He said golf may not be the problem, and it didn't look like a problem yesterday. He was, he was really hitting it well. Uh, the problem may be just his physical ability to, to maneuver around the course. So moving forward, that, that's the key to watch. Now also, the wind's expected to be up this afternoon. That's going to play a part not only in, in his game, but again in that uh, traveling around the course. Yeah, absolutely. Expect to be a bit of a wet course, too. Uh, Tiger Watch continues. Jay Gray, thanks for the latest from Augusta. All right, still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Zero to 60 in two seconds flat. Uh, one automaker is sending out some major X-Men vibes and looking to catch up with Elon Musk's Plaid EVs. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Fireworks, Roadsters, and Model Ys. We need a place where we can be really big. And there's no place like Texas. The hat and the glasses. Elon Musk going bigger in Texas with a cyber rodeo as his Lone Star Gigafactory 
opens up highlights ahead. Plus, Apple stepping up to the plate when it comes to streaming sports. A big moment and opportunity for Cupertino. Those details on deck. And some say it's a warning sign of a coming recession. But my next guest is sticking with his bullish bet on the transports. It's Friday, April 8th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collin in for Brian Sullivan. It's right around 5.30 a.m. right here on the East Coast. Here's how the stock futures are looking right now. You see green across the board. All three indices looking like they're going to open up just about a quarter percent higher. You've got to remember, all these are coming off big intraday comebacks yesterday. Case in point, let's take a look at the Russell 1000. Great case in point here. You're seeing it right here. Starting the day in the red before finishing the day in the green. Big turnaround. In fact, 20 stocks in the Russell 1000, they gained more than 5% from their intraday lows yesterday to eventually close in positive territory. These are names that you know. One like Wayfair, rallying more than 8% off its session low to end the day right up here with an 8% gain. Same story with Beyond Meat, rallying more than 6%. I've got to clear that circle. From its low to end the day with a 1% gain, uh, you know, so big turnarounds there with the Russell 1000. We also want to take a look at bonds, always checking the bond market, especially recently. Right now, we're seeing the 10-year ticking up just about to 2.68% on the yield there. And one last look at oil, something to watch. Um, WTI still below $100 a barrel. Brent crude just above $100 a barrel. Oil down on pace for about a 3% decline this week as the U.S. releases oil from its strategic reserves. All right, now to this morning's other top stories and the fireworks at Tesla's new Texas Gigafactory. Silvana Hanau is here with more. Good morning again, Silvana. Hey, Frank. Good morning again. That's right. So Tesla CEO Elon Musk holding what he called a cyber rodeo at his Texas Gigafactory last night in Austin, Texas, celebrating the first Model Y deliveries from his new plant, driving in on an original Tesla Roadster. Musk speaking to a very enthusiastic crowd said this year is all about scaling up and next year is all about a wave of new products. Musk has high hopes for Texas to play a very big role in that effort. We're we're aiming just with the Model Y program alone uh, to get to half a million units a year. Um, And then we're going to start manufacturing Cybertruck here next year. The Model Y line will be the highest capacity line, um, I think, uh, of any line in the world. In fact, I'm confident it will be. Half a million units a year in in a single uh, factory of one product is uh, the the biggest of anything in the world. And definitely this will be the highest volume car factory in America. Musk also commenting once again on the Cybertruck, promising to have it ready for production next year, Frank. Lots of buzz. All right, Silvana, thank you for that. You got it. All right, turning our attention back to the markets and specifically to the transports. Coming off its first winning session at six, but still down nearly 6% on the week and on pace for its worst weekly performance since January of 2021. The index now more than 19% off its most recent 52-week high. Some on the street pointing to its underperformance as an early recession indicator. Some of the biggest week-to-date laggards include Madsen, JetBlue, and Ryder, all of them down double digits. Joining me now, Broughton Capital Managing Partner and Principal, Donald Broughton. Good morning, Donald. Thanks for being here. Well, good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm doing good. So we, both of us are covered transports. We all look at transports. So I want to get your insight on something right here. Transports on pace for a third week in the red and a second week with a decline over 5%. 
Before we get to whether or not it's a recession indicator, why do you think there's so much weakness in transports right now? Well, you know, um, there's a difference between the weakness in the stocks and the weakness in the goods flow. So let's just start with that. But the weakness in the stocks is really very simple. We've seen things to worry about. We've seen we're seeing interest rates rising. We've seen fuel go up. Uh, we've seen some reasons for some negative sentiment. And quite frankly, uh, there was a very bullish sentiment that we're coming off of a little bit. It's cooled a little bit. Um, and those types of things um, uh, set the stage for the stocks to underperform. But uh, we're, we always focus on the underlying goods flow because they're without sentiment. They're without uh, emotion. Uh, they're just the facts. Yeah, you know, you're, if you're saying sentiment cool, that might be a euphemism. It's getting a little frigid for the transports right now. So as you mentioned, uh, the good flow is still pretty good. I mean, rates are definitely down oh, yeah. year over year. Volumes are down year over year. But that was expected. I, I told earlier. Well, that's not like, true. Actually, the rates, the rates are not down. Uh, the rates are up. Uh, the, the rate of increase has slowed. Right. Uh, well, so you got to be careful. my point, Donald. Like they're, they're down percentage wise, but they're still well over pre-pandemic rates. The volumes are still well oh, yeah. over pre-pandemic levels. So why doesn't right. the street seem to understand that? Well, uh, because uh, the street gets emotionally swung things back and forth. That's why goods flow works. And in the short term, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, 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 the, the axiom that uh, the market in the short term is a voting mechanism, but in the long term, it's a weighing mechanism. So I'm going to ask you the question everybody wants to know. Are transports a reliable recession indicator? Yeah, they are. They're an incredibly reliable indicator when they're listening to the underlying goods flow, the business that they actually do. Uh, and the stocks themselves uh, overpredict. They overpredict upside, they overpredict downside. But the underlying goods flow that they rely on, um, it, uh, it's just steady, Eddie. It's, it's an incredibly great predictor of, of recovery. And it's an incredibly great predictor of recession. Um, and uh, in the current scenario, the goods flow is predicting uh, up and to the right, continued strong growth uh, throughout most segments. Some segments are even accelerating. Um, the flatbed segment, for instance, the industrial segment, you see uh, oil rig count and, and uh, steel, those types of the, uh, the economy is uh, in fuego right now. So people are going to be listening to this and saying, hey, these two guys are talking out both sides of their mouth. They're saying in one, in one case, everything's better than it was. And at the same case, this decline could be a reliable recession indicator. So three weeks of declines for the Dow transports. Is that a sign that we're facing recession or do you need to see a longer horizon? No, no, no. It's not the, it's not the underperformance of the stocks. It's the, it's the underlying, it's the reason for it. So what's happening in this particular case is we've had some confusing signals for those who aren't following all of the underlying things. So we've had a share shift. When diesel goes from $4 a gallon to over $5 a gallon, you see a share shift out of over-the-road truck to what's called domestic intermodal truck to rail to truck. So those providers, like a J.B. Hunt, for instance, they can pick the load up, put it on a rail, and move it. They get to charge you up to 95% of the fuel surcharge, but they don't actually have to pay for the additional fuel. So their volume goes up, their profit goes up, uh, the load still gets moved, the, the, the economy's still ripping and roaring, uh, but they're making a lot more money, and the people who lost that load are making a little less. All right, Donald, before we get out of here, we got to get a couple stocks pick, stock picks yep. from you. Um, can you give us a stock pick from, from rails and also trucking? Well, the, the, obviously, the, the, the one I just mentioned with J.B. Hunt, uh, they actually do better in the, in the higher fuel situations. They, they move more volume, they make more uh, revenue per load, and their margin literally explodes per load. So uh, that stock has been unduly punished because it's part of big transports, and the, the algos come in, and the 
the, the indexers come in and, oh, well, it's a big cap stock. The rest of the transports are going down. So, uh, well, sorry, here, hate to tell you all indexers, but not all transports are created equally. Uh, that stock's down 25%. It should not be. It should be up. But never, uh, and they print uh, earnings uh, one on the 18th of April. So in a few days, uh, we'll, we'll get justified on that one. Um, and in the rails, we still love uh, guys like the Canadian Pacific. We still love the Norfolk Southern, Union Pacific. Those are all really great companies doing great things and will all benefit from the uh, strength in the industrial America. Donald, always great to see you. I'm going to give you a new title, Transports Guru. We appreciate you being here. <laughs> Frank Farrow. There you go. <laughs> Donald Broughton, thanks for being here. Good to see you. All right, turning our attention now to sports. Apple making its first mark in streaming sports tonight, along with Major League Baseball kicking off its ambitions with a doubleheader live on Apple TV+. CNBC tech correspondent Steve Kovac joins us now. Good morning, Steve. Hey there, Frank. Uh, so let's break this down how this works first. So Apple TV Plus starting tonight is going to stream uh, the first two of its weekly Friday doubleheader MLB games. They're exclusive games only on Apple TV Plus. Now, you might be like, oh, my God, I don't have Apple TV Plus yet. Well, it's going to be free uh, for anyone to watch. You don't have to pay that five dollars a month at first. Apple isn't saying how long this free trial is going to last. But if I had to guess, they're going to wait to see how many people actually tune in and watch this before they decide whether or not to start charging us. And, of course, it's not going to be an Apple thing if they don't put their kind of shine on it. So there's going to be an integration with Siri where you can ask it for, you know, stats about uh, your favorite players and your favorite teams who are playing right now. And then, uh, really cool, they're syncing it with Apple Music. So you can listen to your favorite players at bat song on Apple Music. And then if we kind of zoom out and talk about sports streaming in general, we know Netflix has been just allergic to streaming any live sports or asked about it all the time. But if you look at the broader landscape, uh, really, these streaming services in the streaming war are kind of finding ways to get exclusive uh, games. So you kind of have to tune in, sign up, and, and this is a real uh, subscriber generator for them. So you have ESPN Plus, which has uh, various NHL games exclusively. You have RO Network Peacock, which is also doing something with the MLB for Sunday morning games. And then up for grabs, you have... Uh, the NFL Sunday ticket, which is going to be bidded on by these tech companies with unlimited po deep pockets and money to go against the traditional network. So that's going to be a big one to watch next. Yeah, Steve, I think you might be understanding it. NFL Sunday ticket is probably the golden goose of exactly. streaming. I mean, yeah. what's bigger than the NFL? So I, I have to say, I'm not a huge baseball fan. I like to go to games, but I almost never watch them on TV. I was vaguely aware of the lockout. And I just saw a stat yesterday that the average MLB fans are over 50 years old. So why is it so important for Apple to bring these people into its ecosystem? And what is bringing baseball fans going to mean for its broader ecosystem? Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I probably bring that average down at age 36 as a baseball fan. But look, what, what the real strategy here is for Apple is they just want to sell more iPhones. So we know coming up this fall, they're going to have this iPhone subscription service where you either pay an annual or monthly fee and you get a new iPhone every month bundled with all of Apple's services. So in the same way that Amazon will like put uh, benefits on top of Amazon Prime, like streaming video and music and so forth, we're seeing Apple kind of do the same thing. So, hey, it's just kind of like a cherry on top of your normal subscription uh, to an Apple service. So this could really, at the end of the day, it's really just about driving iPhone sales because they're not making any money on this streaming stuff yet, Frank. Steve, you might be the world's youngest MLB fan. Thanks for the <laughs> insight. We appreciate it. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> All right, coming up, the real story on New York real estate. Here's a hint. It's really expensive. But first, as we head to break, some of your other top stories, Meta will have a, to face a shareholder mandate 
on whether its metaverse is actually good for society. The social media company had attempted to squash a proposal asking for a third-party evaluation of the potential psychological and human rights harms posed by the metaverse. But that attempt was rejected by the SEC. The evaluation proposal will be voted on at the annual shareholder meeting, but is unlikely to pass given that Mark Zuckerberg controls the voting shares of Meta. Checking on shares of HP, which had their best day in more than two years, the news of Berkshire Hathaway's new stake sending the shares soaring, Warren Buffett making about $650 million on HP based on that move alone, and Jeep announcing stats for a new version of its all-electric Wrangler concept car a year after the first version was announced. The company saying the Wrangler Magneto 2.0 goes from 0 to 60, 0 to 60, I should say, in just two seconds. That's far faster than the earlier version of the vehicle, which takes almost seven seconds. Worldwide Exchange, back right after this. All right, welcome back. Manhattan seeing record real estate sales for new developments in particular. The first quarter of 2022 actually saw the highest Q1 contract volume in four years surging past pre-pandemic levels. And this strength is all despite rising inflation, rising prices, and many workers still not yet returning completely to the office. Joining us now to talk about the reasons behind these record sales, Stephen Kliegerman, president of Brown Harris Stevens Development Marketing. Stephen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Frank. All right. So one thing we know, Manhattan apartment prices for sales, they're really jumping. My colleague Robert Frank just reported a 19 percent increase in sales prices year over year in Q1. Big jump. Um, That's for all apartments. You focus on new developments. So I'm imagining a similar sales increase. So I have to ask you, who's buying these apartments? Who has the money to buy them and, and who's deciding to buy? Well, with all the wealth that was built over the last couple of years, we're seeing a tremendous number of empty nesters come into the Manhattan market, both for themselves and helping to their adult children purchase as well. In addition, uh, we're seeing uh, the return of the foreign buyer, uh, particularly the Chinese buyer. Uh, We're also seeing a tremendous number of uh, buyers from the medical field, particularly doctors, uh, the tech field as well. And again, you know, you've got a lot of pied-à-terre buyers as well who sold their homes in uh, suburban marketplaces during the uh, pandemic who now want to live in Manhattan and maybe have a second home, maybe in the Hamptons or somewhere down in Florida. So we're seeing buyers from all different sectors and exuberance in, in the in the new development resale and resale markets. Yeah, a lot of exuberance. Average price, we just showed it, almost $3.6 million. Those are some nice parents and some really nice pied-à-terres. Um, one other thing is. on the rise are Manhattan rents. Um, I've seen many different stats, but up double digits. How much has increasing rent been a catalyst for people just to decide to buy? So rents for uh, dormant buildings are up about 20 percent over 2019. Uh, that's definitely pushing people to the buy side. Uh, the, the rental market uh, has about a 1.5 percent vacancy rate right now, which is basically a zero vacancy rate. So with rents rising, uh, buying is much more attractive and certainly a long-term great investment. So you shared some stats with us. Um, two bedrooms are the most popular size units. And then if you move from a two to, th- to three bedroom, the price almost doubles. Why are two bedrooms the most popular? Well, you know, the two bedroom marketplace is really popular because, the, you know, the three, as you said, the three bedrooms are almost double the price of a two bedroom apartment. Two bedrooms are great for rentals. Uh, they're great for expansion. Uh, young couples and families starting out. 
you know, maybe looking for future opportunities to stay in their home longer. Also, with more people working from home, people need more space these days. So a lot of the two bedrooms aren't even being used as a two bedroom. It's being used really as a one bedroom plus a home office. Uh, so, you know, what, what we see is that people are planning for the future. They don't want to be sized out of their home. So they are purchasing something with longer term aspects. So one last question before we let you go. How long do you see this increase in prices and this, you know, huge demand lasting? Are we eventually going to go back to pre-pandemic levels? I, I, I foresee prices starting to stabilize, but I think the demand is going to be there for quite some time. Part of the reason for that is during the pandemic, very few units were planned. Our inventories dropped to under 6,000 total active and, and, and shadow inventory in all of Manhattan. That's the lowest number of inventory that we've had in many, many years. So I think due to that, demand will continue to be strong. Prices stabilize, slightly rising as, as supplies continue to stay down. But you know, right now, uh, Manhattan is back. It's strong. And I foresee a very, very strong next couple of years for the sale market. And I think you're going to see some parity between buyers and sellers. All right, Stephen Kligerman, we appreciate you being here. Thank you again. All right, on deck here at Worldwide Exchange, John Najarian joins us with his market signals. Find out what's flashing and why it matters. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. But first, during April, we're celebrating Financial Literacy Month and featuring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is CNBC contributor Guy Adami with how financial literacy impacts Wall Street. Financial literacy has a huge impact on Wall Street. Why? The great mythology for years was nobody understands money better than we do, we being Wall Street. Well, 2008 and 2009 proved that to be exactly the opposite. We now can ask questions that we never asked Wall Street before. So if you're financially literate, you can ask questions that will make the industry better. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We're turning our attention back to the markets. The future is right now in the green. At this point, the Dow looks like it could open up about 100 points higher, at least at this point. We know how volatile the markets have been. They're looking to close out another rocky week with the S&P and the Nasdaq both poised to break their three-week win streaks. For more on the trading day ahead and where the options action is, let's bring in John Najarian, Market Rebellion co-founder and CNBC contributor. Happy Friday, John. To you as well, Frank. Thank you. So, John, we've been talking about it, you know, for weeks now, the Russian-Ukraine war impact on the markets. You're actually watching the energy market in particular and how increasing Russian sanctions are creating some action there. Can you can it explain it for us? Sure. Well, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, crude oil, of course, and natural gas stocks, which have skyrocketed and then sort of plateaued, Frank. Um, and they've sort of passed the baton, if you will, uh, to the uranium stocks. Um, and of course, this is because they are a, an alternative to the fossil fuels. Um, and so we've seen Camco, which is CCJ, see a lot of activity. 
Right now, we're seeing an awful lot in UEC, which is another uranium play. It's about a $5.40 stock, Frank. And right now, they're buying the April 5 calls. So these calls expire next Friday. Not today, but next Friday. Slightly in the money call. And they bought the equivalent of about 800,000 shares. That's 8,000 option contracts. And that's yet another bet on uranium continuing to move higher as Germany, who is going to quit with its nukes by the end of this year, instead, of course, is going to be competing for some of those uranium uh, stocks so that uh, they can continue to light up that that country. So some really bullish call buying here. How long do you see this kind of action being sustained for? Because obviously we don't have a lot of visibility into, you know, how how deep these sanctions could go or how long this conflict could last. True. Uh, And one of the things that we've said all along, too, Frank, has been that um, when we're looking at these sanctions and the war itself, of course, even if the war were to mercifully stop, I don't think those sanctions come right off. Um, I think we are likely to see these prices remain high and push even higher uh, because the sanctions would likely stay in place. And that would mean competition for everything from um, mined materials uh, to like uranium to uh, crude oil and natural gas uh, are going to continue to move higher. That's my bet. And obviously, uh, everybody that is putting down those bets has a similar outlook. Let's talk about the actions, uh, the options action, the material space. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think materials are generally a place where you see a lot of options action. Um, one area is nickel. Obviously, a lot of nickel comes out the Russian-Ukraine region. Can you tell us about some of the call buying you're seeing there? Sure. Well, nickel is uh, something that uh, Russia is the number one producer in the whole world of nickel. And most of your viewers know this, Frank, but nickel is something that's necessary for the lithium-ion batteries. You can't make them for Tesla or anybody else without nickel. Lithium's the big part, but nickel's just as important. And uh, if Russia is indeed cut off from delivering that, uh, they'll only be selling it apparently to China and India. So uh, the second biggest nickel producer in the world is Vale, V-A-L-E. And that one we're showing uh, strong activity in uh, the calls out to May at the 23 strike and that was when the stock was a little over 19. The stock's been moving up, but uh, still they're predicting that uh, the stock goes considerably higher, mainly because of those uh, nickel reserves that people are so, uh, so anxious to get a hold of now that Russia's going to be cut off. You're also looking at steel, right? You're uh, seeing a lot of bullish call buying for Cleveland Cliffs? Yep, CLF. Um, just yesterday we saw 10,000 May 35 calls bought, bought, bought. Um, And that was with the uh, Cleveland Cliffs at 31. So that's they they are sort of a full service. They go out and mine it and then turn it into rolled steel. Um, And Cleveland Cliffs to see like a four dollar rally in the next three or four uh, weeks into that May expiration. That's pretty bullish, Frank, bullish for Cleveland Cliffs and bullish for the industry supplying more steel uh, because demand is that high. All right, John, we almost got to get out of here. Uh, Quick take on the market day ahead after what we saw yesterday to close out the day. Uh, I think a lot of it for the remainder of the week, this next uh, six and a half hours of trading, Frank, will probably be uh, that 10-year note. 
and we saw a very fast jump to almost 270 for the 10-year. Um, if it stabilizes here, then that's going to be something that the market will take note of. It doesn't want it, the market, uh, would prefer not to see higher rates hit us this quickly. Maybe a little plateauing in rates would cause the markets to stabilize even more. All right, John and Jerry, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you for your time and your insight. That does it for us here on Worldwide Thanks. Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.